Godzahal, and welcome to the A Thousand Lives broadcast, the go-to podcast for all things related to Christian missions in China. This is Austin, your host and missionary to China, the Vision Baptist Missions, and the Vision for China team. For more information about Vision Baptist Missions, the Vision for China team, and how to take the first step on your path to making Jesus famous in China, head on over to visionforchina.org. That's V-I-S-I-O-N-F-O-R-C-H-I-N-A dot O-R-G. There you'll also find a slew of resources to aid you in both sharing the gospel with Chinese friends as well as to help you encourage others to give their lives to making Jesus known in China. In last week's episode, entitled Preaching Chinese, a Confucian Scholar and Wisdom in Awkward Situations, we explored another story from the life of Jonathan Goforth that involved him wanting to push forward in his advanced Chinese language studies by hiring a well-educated Confucian scholar to serve as his teacher. The problem was, this devout Confucian was extremely opposed to Goforth's Christian faith. Listen in to hear how the Lord gave Goforth the wisdom to convince this proud man to go from beating his wife, if she were to attend church, to being willing and eager to hear the gospel message himself. It turns out the Lord does, in fact, give wisdom if we ask, a la James chapter 1. Be sure to tune in for an interesting story that proves yet again the gospel is the power Power of God unto salvation. And as always, never miss an episode of the A Thousand Lives broadcast by going ahead and subscribing on your podcasting platform of choice. We're on Apple, Google, Edify, Podbean, and so much more. Head on over to visionforchina.org slash podcast. That's V-I-S-I-O-N-F-O-R-C-H-I-N-A dot O-R-G slash P-O-D-C-A-S-T for a complete directory of where you can find us. Subscribing will set you up to get a notification each Monday morning as new episodes are published. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, go ahead and leave a review or comment as well. The more interaction the podcast gets on these channels, the more likely the apps are to recommend it to others. Help us get the word out that Jesus needs to be exalted in China. And also, if you're an overachiever and want to go the extra mile, go right ahead and share the broadcast on social media or maybe send a personal email to that person you know who is teaching English in China currently or that friend considering getting involved in missions. Vision for China can be found on Facebook also by searching Vision for China or by finding us directly at Facebook.com slash VBM China. That's Facebook.com slash VBM C-H-I-N-A. If you haven't already, head on over to like the page and stay up to date on the latest podcast episode announcements as well as see what else our team is up to. We with Vision for China are asking the Lord to raise up more preachers to go to China with the gospel. And we want to get the word out that there are opportunities to serve the Lord in this awesome country. Sending someone a quick link to this podcast or sharing it with them on social media might just be the first time they've heard that there is actually a way to preach full-time in China. They may have never heard of all the opportunities to make Jesus known through preaching and serving Him there in the Middle Kingdom. So go ahead and share with them. They'll probably thank you for it. Well, today I am beyond excited to share the story of someone who I consider to be a lesser-known giant of Chinese missions history named Robert Jaffray. If I had to guess, I'd say that most people listening in have unfortunately never heard of Jaffray. I only learned about him in his 30-plus years of service in southern China and greater East Asia within the last year. A.W. Tozer wrote a biography on him, which I bought a couple of months back and just recently finished. And let me tell you, his legacy in China, Southeast Asia, and the East Indies is nothing short of remarkable. You know, I often tell people that the most impressive person in Chinese missions history is Hudson Taylor. And I think most people that delve into missions history for China would agree. 
Hudson Taylor's ability to recruit hundreds upon hundreds of British and other Western missionaries to storm into inland China with the gospel is absolutely astounding. However, I have to say that I think while Hudson Taylor's ministry was greater in scope, it didn't necessarily have the depth of Jaffray's ministry. What I mean by that is this. Hudson Taylor often clearly stated that his main objective was for all Chinese people to hear the gospel. His focus was begging the Lord for more preachers to arrive in China so that all in China could hear of Christ and have the opportunity to believe on his name. And of course, those are worthy goals. There is nothing wrong with having the goals of Hudson Taylor at all. And I myself want Chinese people to hear about Jesus Christ. I want them to have the opportunity to believe on his name. Jeffrey, on the other hand, while he was no stranger to recruiting other Canadians and Americans to come to China and to come to Greater East Asia to serve, he instead focused his ministry strongly on training up Chinese people to not only pastor indigenous churches, but to also send their own missionaries out throughout China and around the world. Now, be forewarned as we get into this podcast, unlike many other episodes that we have here that focus on missions history, this episode will not focus on a specific event or story from the life of Robert Jaffray. Instead, in this episode, I want to highlight the major milestones in Jaffray's ministry that took it from an infant work in southwest China to an international ministry that was sending seasoned Chinese men of God from southern China to Indonesia and around the world. So buckle up. Swing through the drive-thru to grab your morning coffee and listen in to a series of events that, if only recounted in King James English, would seem to be a fitting sequel to all the amazing gospel advances that took place in the book of Acts. But as always, let's take a moment to first cut to our Chinese region of the week. Our region for this week is the province of Liaoning. Liaoning is located in northeastern China and is home to around 44 million people. Liaoning is one of three provinces of China that previously made up a region known as Manchuria, control of which, back in the day, often flip-flopped between China, Japan, and Russia. Liaoning has quite a few large cities, two of which I feel are worth mentioning here, Shenyang and Dalian. I've actually been to Dalian, and Dalian is actually currently more or less, you could say, the epicenter of what we at Vision for China are doing in mainland China. Uh, Despite these successes, there is still an enormous need for the gospel to be preached in Liaoning. One national pastor there put it so well when he said that there are innumerable young people in the high schools and colleges that need preachers. They need people to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. They don't know about the Lord. Would you pray that God would raise up more laborers to preach the gospel in Liaoning province? Liaoning is another great place in China with many opportunities to serve the Lord and preach the gospel. Friends, I'll never get tired of saying it. There are countless opportunities to come to China and preach Christ. There are so many here who haven't even heard his name, much less anything else about him. Brother, are you praying about serving Christ overseas? Are you considering what he'd have you do with your life? Why not consider giving your life to preaching Jesus in China? Why not devote your life to magnifying him among the people of this great nation? There are millions upon millions of people all throughout the various provinces and regions of China that have yet to hear the gospel. You could be the one to tell them. You could be the one to bring the glad tidings to them. Would you pray for the people of Liaoning? Would you pray for them to hear the good news of Jesus Christ before it's too late? Would you pray and ask the Lord to send them more preachers who will give their lives to give them the gospel? 
Brother, why not surrender your life to being that preacher and boldly preaching the gospel among them? How, after all, are they going to hear without someone going? In the words of A.W. Tozer, Jaffray was a great missionary, but he was not a foot soldier. Instead, he was a missionary general, a strategist, a tactician of undoubted vision. But the actual labor of traveling about and preaching in the villages had to be done by others. He could do little itinerating. His diabetes and his heart condition remained with him. Only his driving will enabled him to carry on at all. To meet the necessities of his weakened body, he had to resort to means that might have appeared strange to anyone not familiar with the circumstances. For instance, to conserve his strength and outwit his tricky heart, he rigged up a desk that he could pull across his bed hospital fashion. This enabled him to do much of his arduous work lying down. Commonly, he would be awake and at his labors by 4 o'clock in the morning. When his breakfast was brought hours later, he could be found surrounded by dictionaries, commentaries, and Bibles with page after page of finished manuscript piled beside him on the bed. But how is it that a man of so many physical limitations could so wholly devote himself to the advancement of the name of Christ in southwest China? Why would he leave the wealth, comfort, and ease of life back in Canada for the hardships of life on the spiritual front lines? A look at his early years reveals that Jaffray was born in a well-to-do Canadian family. His father was both the editor and publisher of a powerful newspaper in Toronto back in the day, simply known as The Globe. When, at around the age of 20, Jaffray announced to his father that he had surrendered his life to serve as a missionary in China, his father stormed with opposition and threatened his son with disinheritance if he were to persist with this plan. His father refused to fund his missionary training and wouldn't give a penny towards his eventual travel expenses to China, though he would oftentimes remind his son that if at any point he changed his mind, even after living in China for years, if he were to change his mind, come to his senses, and wanted to return to Canada, his father said he would happily foot the bill. Well, while training for his future admissions, the young Jaffray met with A.B. Simpson, who on a survey trip of southwestern China in 1892 had visited the province of Guangxi, which at the time, as far as A.B. Simpson could tell, was completely devoid of gospel light and vehemently opposed to other missionaries who would attempt to preach Jesus within its borders. Five years later, 1897, Jaffray was sent to Guangxi with another missionary named Robert Glover. They set up shop in a town called Tung An and began their first missionary work there. It was here in Tung An that the pair of Roberts cut their teeth on the Chinese language. They initially studied Cantonese and began learning the mysterious ways of Chinese culture. Within a year or two, they relocated a ways away to another area of Guangxi province known as Uzhou, which would remain Jaffray's base of operations for some 35 years. It was from this headquarters that he carried on an ever-expanding program of missionary evangelism that eventually led him as far south as Bali and as far east as New Guinea. During his initial years in Uzhou, he lived and ministered in relative obscurity, though after some time his bullheaded personality and smoldering zeal slowly allowed him to rise in leadership among his mission agency in the South China field. When the chairman at the time, Isaac Hess, retired, Jaffray was elected chairman, and that just demonstrates that the missionaries around him also saw great leadership potential in him. 
His being elected chairman, in the words of A.W. Tozer, marked his real coming of age, and it was from then on that his notable work was accomplished. No sooner than had he become chairman of the region than did he focus his efforts on the Uzo Bible School. Jeffrey was a firm believer in the importance of Bible schools in the grand scheme of world evangelism. His strategy in those days was as soon as new converts were organized into a church, the second order of business should be to found the Bible School. He would often teach and lecture at these schools, and his lectures were eventually published in a publication of his own making known as the Bible Magazine. Due most likely to his upbringing around the Toronto Globe, of which his father was editor, Jeffrey firmly believed in the power of the printed page to aid in the evangelization of a region. He quickly established a publishing house known as the South China Alliance Press that he kept rolling with tons of Christian literature printed in the Chinese language for distribution throughout China and in other Chinese-speaking regions around the world. At its peak, Jeffrey's Bible magazine was even read by Chinese people in Chinatown in San Francisco. Since he was so familiar with the printing business, he refused to allow South China Alliance Press to turn out inferior pieces of work. He required that the many editors and formatters involved gave careful attention to art, paper quality, fine layout, and even to design. The content of the magazine was both biblical and highly evangelical. He wanted to put robust Bible resources in the hands of Chinese-speaking missionaries, pastors, and lay people around the world. His literary style was very down-to-earth and colloquial. He wrote to make a point and drive it home. There was no beating around the bush or speaking in high and lofty terms. His clear goal was to motivate for the all-important task of world evangelism. His publications, which included tracts, books, and scripture portions, were disseminated to missionaries and national evangelists throughout China to furnish them with the materials needed to support their evangelistic and church planning efforts. For many years, Jeffrey served as chairman of the South China Field, pastor of one of the churches in Uzhou, principal of the Bible School, head of South China Alliance Press, editor of Bible Magazine, and coordinator of the activities of many missionary and national workers in the South China field. He also interspersed all this work with occasional trips to explore yet unreached mission fields, both in China and outside of China, in the hopes that one day he could encourage his mission to pioneer works there. All of these are great accomplishments for any missionary but are especially astounding in light of his aforementioned diabetes and heart condition. Despite his sickliness, Jeffrey had a fire and blazing energy about him that wanted nothing more than the exaltation of Jesus Christ in South China and around the world. He was a man of prayer who would first patiently seek the Lord's will in all decisions. Now, once he felt he knew it, he would immediately seek to bring it about with a sort of unmatched ferocity and determination. Just as things were ramping up there in Uzhou, his mission began to set its eyes on a new field, that of Indochina. Now known as Southeast Asia, Indochina is home to modern-day nations like Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand. Jeffrey was asked by his mission, his mission board, to spearhead their advance into Indochina, and in 1916 they elected him the superintendent for the French Indochina field. He immediately set out on a series of survey trips through modern-day Vietnam, making stops and surveying cities such as Hanoi. All the while, he was furiously taking notes on how future missionaries who would one day come could do so and do evangelistic and church planning work there. 
There were many giant obstacles present in this field. For starters, the region was home to some 11 languages and just as many different cultural groups and peoples. This, of course, translated to the need for many missionaries skilled in language and translation to go and begin the endless work of scripture translation. As soon as his mission could afford them, Jeffrey sent new missionaries there to learn the languages and almost just as soon established a printing press in Hanoi to facilitate the printing and distribution of hymnals, tracts, books, and devotional material along with the scriptures. Within about 10 years, a team translated the Bible into Amanese, the language spoken in the region at that time. All of this work was under the pioneering purview of Robert Jeffrey. At this point in his ministry, Jeffrey's philosophy of ministry begins to come into focus. As far as Jeffrey was concerned, the work of missions was fairly simple and could be summed up in a four-step process. Number one, contact. Number two, evangelize. Number three, organize. And number four, instruct. Contact, evangelize, organize, instruct. This was a simple pattern that he both lived out as well as taught to other missionaries and even to nationals in China that he trained. Contact was first. Contact involved discovering a people, surveying them, moving to live among them, and establishing communication with them. Obviously, this involved learning both their language and culture. While Jeffrey was painfully aware of his own limitations as far as only being able to both learn only so many languages while also effectively moving on to stages two through four among those language groups, he was still known to be obsessed with maps and even the sound of a new foreign place name. Just the name of a place, yet unknown to him, was an alarm bell in his ear. Hanoi. Surabaya. Names such as these would stir his heart and push him to his knees in prayer, asking for missionaries to be sent forth to go. He was a pioneer, an explorer, an adventurer, obsessed with the urge to not only discover new peoples and hidden tribes, but to also send them a missionary. In addition to his publications in China and in the Chinese language, he also often wrote articles in English to be published at home in Canada and in the United States. These articles often include stories from his survey trips to new peoples and lands that both told of the darkness in which they lived and pleaded that some from among his Canadian and American brethren would come to preach the gospel among them. After contact came evangelization. Step 2. Jeffrey knew that his marching orders from the Lord Jesus were clear. He was to teach all nations. He was to win lost people to Christ once contact was made and established. More important than teaching them Western customs and mannerisms, more than teaching them to live as a Canadian or American, more important than teaching them to wear European or American style clothing, was the need for them to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. In fact, Jeffrey was always clear to emphasize that he was under no orders to teach Western culture to all nations. No, not at all. His orders were to preach the gospel of Christ to every creature. The next step was to organize these new converts into a church. Step 3. The churches he started and trained others to start would always start out simple. They would be loose gatherings of believers that would be slowly developed as leaders were identified and trained to serve as pastors and deacons. Jeffrey was willing, however, for this advanced stage of organization to wait for him to begin work on the fourth step, instruction. Instruction was the step of teaching the new church the great truths of the Bible. He accomplished this through teaching, preaching, establishing a Bible school, and eventually a printing press. All of these were used to accomplish instruction and sound doctrine to lead a church into a mature phase with mature pastors and deacons. 
He not only followed this four-step model, but also trained other missionaries and even national pastors and church planners to follow this model as well. There were times when certain people from his missions agency felt he moved too fast or was spreading his ministry too thin. In fact, once he was asked, Of course you will concentrate your missionary forces, won't you? Certainly, Jeffrey quickly agreed. He then stepped to a wall upon which hung a map, a huge map of China and touched with his finger one spot after another after another on it. We'll concentrate here, and here, and here, and here. Well, just how many missionaries are you working with in these areas? was the astonished reply. Six, Jeffrey replied with a deadpan look on his face. A.W. Tozer said, It was a strategy of concentrating all over the map that gave such thrust to his missionary service. And though Jeffrey was always moving with great speed, he was also very careful to ensure that new Christians and new churches wouldn't fall back into their old sinful ways. He and those he trained would often leave only to return to those churches later on, either in person or through the printed page, which is just what we see played out in the New Testament. After some 35 years of serving in Uzhou in South China, Jeffrey felt that his work and the churches there were stable and established enough to no longer need his constant care. It was also at this time that he set his eyes on the Chinese in the port cities of the South Seas, specifically those in modern-day Indonesia and New Guinea. After taking a few survey trips to Indonesia and scoping out the need, the people, and the lay of the land, he was sure that the Lord was calling him to take the gospel message there. The problem was, he was already in his late 50s and had spent the last 30-plus years of his life in Uzo. He made an appeal for his mission to send new missionaries to Indonesia but their manpower at the time was already stretching thin. They simply couldn't put boots on the ground there. Unsure of what to do, Jeffrey committed the matter to prayer. He was certain that he should somehow have a hand in pioneering ministry in Indonesia, but he was unsure of where to get the manpower to accomplish it. Through much prayer, the Lord gave him an answer. He impressed upon Jeffrey that he should send some of the Chinese men, which he had trained for ministry in Uzhou, send them to Indonesia to begin working there. Can you imagine it? Here is a man who is by all accounts not in the best of health and nearing retirement age, and yet he is determined to make Christ known in the regions beyond. Not only that, but he himself has already trained up the manpower to accomplish it during his 35 years in China. He sends on many Chinese men to Indonesia to begin preaching and then eventually ends up leaving his home of 35 years in Uzhou along with his wife to move to the West Indies and assist these Chinese men in the advancement of the gospel. Such was the passionate zeal of Robert Dufresne. He was always desirous to take the gospel to the next place, to advance it among the next people group, to herald it in yet another region. It was after a few years of service there in Indonesia that Robert Dufresne was captured by the Japanese during World War II, where he eventually died in one of their prison camps. Robert Dufresne lived a life that pushed the gospel of Christ to so many regions, places, and peoples all the way to the very end. Friends, you know, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus' marching orders for us are very, very clear. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now as I ponder the life of Robert Dufresne, 
I can't help but think of how the Lord used this man to see the Great Commission completely obeyed in Uzhou, Guangxi, China. By that, I don't mean that everyone he preached to believed, and I don't even mean that he preached to every last person there in Uzhou. But what I do mean is that those whom he led to the Lord and baptized, he truly taught them to obey all things that Christ commanded, including the command of the Great Commission itself. Think about it. How rare is it to hear of a missionary leading a group of people to the Lord, especially in a place like China, organizing them into a church and training them, not just training them in the scriptures, not just training them to lead their own church, but training them to the point that they not only send out preachers to the next village or town, but are also sending missionaries from among their own congregations out to other countries and across cultures. Here is a man who imparted his missionary zeal to the Chinese men he trained, to the point that when he told them of the need for the gospel in Indonesia, they responded by packing up their belongings and leaving their own home country to tell people they never before met the good news of salvation. I hear Jeffrey's story, and I cannot help but think that if God can use him to do this, if God can use him to train up people of his mission field, to serve as missionaries, then God can certainly do the same with us today. Think on it, brother. How amazing would it be if you were to surrender your life to making Jesus known in China, and you not only led them to believe in Christ, but also led them to trust that the same Christ that was worthy of your sacrifice to bring them the gospel is also worthy of their sacrifice to get that gospel overseas and around the world. And why wouldn't Christ empower a generation to do this today? After all, he commands us to teach them to observe all things whatsoever he has commanded us. And the Great Commission, the command of the Great Commission itself, is among the all things that he commanded. Brother, surrender to come to China with the gospel. Surrender your life to make his glories known among the Chinese. Devote your days to not only leading them to Jesus, but also to teaching them to have a heart for the world so that they will go to the world in Jesus' name. May the Lord raise up among our generation men who will come to China to not only preach salvation, but also evangelism, admissions, and church planning. Oh, that the Lord would use us to not only see many saved in China, but also see many Chinese take that message to the ends of the earth. Again, brothers, there are so many wonderful opportunities to preach Jesus and serve him in China. I plead with you to consider China. I beg you to pray and ask the Lord what he would have you do for him in China. If you want to take that next step toward China and learn how to continue on a path toward full-time ministry there, reach out to us with Vision Baptist Missions and the Vision for China team. You can email us at info at visionmissions.com, I-N-F-O at V-I-S-I-O-N-M-I-S-S-I-O-N-S dot C-O-M, or email me, Austin, personally at austin at reachingchina.org. That's A-U-S-T-I-N at R-E-A-C-H-I-N-G-C-H-I-N-A dot O-R-G. We'd love to talk to you about the next steps you can take towards preaching Jesus in China, whether that next step be Bible training, ministry training, or language and culture training. We'd love to guide you on your path to making Jesus famous in China. Friends, Jeffrey's legacy is one marked by his passion to make Christ famous in China and around the world, despite his sickness and setbacks. 
He was passionate about exalting Jesus. He was jiqiede. Jiqiede is passionate in Chinese. Jiqiede. Brother, are you jiqiede about making Christ known in this world? China needs men who are jiqiede to exalt the name of Jesus among them. Will you come and preach him to them? If not you, then who? Well, this concludes today's episode of the A Thousand Lives broadcast. Be sure to tune in to next week's episode for a story from the life of Griffith John, probably another somewhat obscure but impactful missionary to China. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button for the A Thousand Lives broadcast so that you won't miss out on other exciting stories and interviews all centered on preaching Christ in China. Please remember to pray for the province of Liaoning this week. The people there need preachers who will come and together exalt Christ among them. Thank you again for listening to the A Thousand Lives broadcast. This has been Austin, your host and missionary to China with Vision Baptist Missions and the Vision for China team. For more information about Vision Baptist Missions, the Vision for China team, and how to take the first step on your path to making Jesus famous in China, head on over to visionforchina.org. That's V-I-S-I-O-N-F-O-R-C-H-I-N-A dot O-R-G. There you'll also find a slew of resources to aid you in both sharing the gospel with Chinese friends as well as encouraging others to give their lives to making Jesus known in China. Well, until next time, 再见。